today on The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. We're rumbling along there with jealousy and whatever besetting sin, and we get angry. Why are you angry? Man, I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? What's wrong? He's saying, hey, can't you figure it out? Could it be, Cain, that you didn't worship me properly as you'd been taught all the days of your life? Did you miss that, Cain, somehow? You'll either be eaten up by jealousy or you'll be lifted up as you go and worship the right way. The truth is you can render jealousy powerless. Welcome to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Today, Dr. Young begins his message, Jealousy, and reveals proven truth from God's Word to help you overcome jealousy for good. Stay with us. The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young begins in just a moment. Now, here's Dr. Ed Young with today's message, Jealousy. Perhaps you remember a few years ago how there was a spot left on a cheerleading team and two young girls were competing for that one spot. Both of them were 13. The mother of one of the young girls felt like her daughter may lose the competition and not be selected as cheerleader. So she said, my daughter must be cheerleader. She has to be a cheerleader. And so she goes out and hires a hitman. Y'all remember the story? Yeah, yeah. Hires a hitman to kill the mother and daughter of the competing 13-year-old, kill the mom and, and the daughter. She said, surely then my girl will get the spot. But the hitman's price was too high for a double killing. So she decided that just to kill the mother would be enough because her 13-year-old would be so grieved that she would not be able to try out for cheerleader. And a price was determined, $2,500. That's how much a life was worth. That's how much she was willing to pay to make sure her 13-year-old daughter was selected a cheerleader. Give me a K. Give me an I. Give me an L. Give me an L. What kind of culture, society, world do we live in? What was the problem? Jealousy. Jealousy. A deadly sin that most of us cover up, spin away from, do not realize, subdue, and just really don't deal with it, and rarely, if ever, confess, oh, Lord, forgive me of my jealousy. Konah is the Hebrew word for it. It means to be red, to be bright red, to be jealous. We've heard the green-eyed monster. It really should be the red-eyed monster. Jealous, jealousy. It's a deadly, deadly, deadly word. 
I, I like the last part of the word tells us really the definition, Laos. Right? See? Needs an E, but Laos. Jalous. People who are jealous are louses. What's a louse? I looked up in the dictionary. I thought it was just some people that I knew. <laughs> but a louse is a parasite, insect. And there's a whole list of different kind of louse or louses. <laughs> I don't know which one's right. The whole list of them, literally, it's amazing. All different kind of louse. One, there's a gnawing louse. A louse just gnaws on you. And then there's another kind of louse that's a biting louse. They just bite you. There's another kind of louse that just sucks the blood out of you. And I said, that's a good part of jealousy, isn't it? You know, sometimes jealous people, they just gnaw on you, and sometimes they just bite you, and sometimes they just keep sucking the blood out of you. What is jealousy? Jealousy begins where your salary ends. <laughs> jealousy begins where your talents end. Uh, let me say this. Anybody who enjoys hearing their predecessor or their successor or their competitor praised, you get that? If you enjoy hearing those people praised, you are Phi Beta Kappa on sanctification. You already have your wings. You can just fly right on up today. It doesn't make any difference. Because we are a jealous people. We gnaw, we cut down, we bite, we suck. Some people may be jealous of us. We may be jealous of others. And we want to bring them down. Instead of counting our blessings, we count their blessings and we're jealous. Oh, yeah, we're jealous. And it's that subtle, deadly sin that plays in Satan's backfield. In Satan's backfield, you have lust going out as a split receiver. And you have greed and covetous. There you're running back. Jealousy is the quarterback. Man, he calls the plays. He hands off. He throws the passes. Jealousy is at the root of so much trash that builds up in your life and my life, and we explain it away and rationalize about it. We just don't like to admit that we're jealous. But it is indeed a deadly, deadly sin, and it's a progressive sin. We subdue it. No big deal. I shouldn't feel like that but it just builds and builds and builds until we will see it will, boom, explode on you. While we criticize, while we cut down, while we belittle, while we shame, while we say, oh, that person and, and breaks. And we, we have all kinds of ways to try to bring them down or order to lift ourselves up. And it's jealousy. Green-eyed monster operating in your life and in my life. And we see in our scripture a classic study of jealousy. In fact, when you read the book of Genesis, the book of beginnings, by the way, let me give you an outline of Genesis. You can go to work in the morning and say, you know, I can outline the book of Genesis. Oh, really? Yeah. It's not tough. Just six people, Adam, 
Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Bang, there's Genesis. Those six people, you've got Genesis covered. It's, it's a family. It's a development of the family. And all the way through, you have jealousy over and over again. Usually, it's jealousy that revolves around one big word. In fact, the first 11 verses of chapter number 4 of Genesis, this word is mentioned seven times. The word is brother. Brother, 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 brother. Sibling rivalry. You see it all the way through Genesis. Cain and Abel. We'll look at that in detail. Isaac and Ishmael, remember? Jacob and Esau. Joseph and his brothers. All jealousy, jealousy. We could move to Hagar and Sarah, but it's all, it's replete all the way through in this book of beginnings. And a deadly example of Cain and Abel. Now, all of us, we sort of know, if you've even been to church a little bit, that, you know, Cain, the older brother, killed the younger brother, Abel. We sort of know that. And we use the expression, I'm going to go out and raise Cain, right? We know that. Let's go raise some Cain. That means we're going to get in trouble. We're going to really get out of bounds. We're going to raise Cain. There is where it comes from. Right there. In our scripture, you remember Adam and Eve ate the fruit that God said you can have and do anything and everything you ever want to do, but that one thing, they ate the fruit. And then they felt guilty, and they said, we're naked. God's going to come to see us, and we're naked. A long time, maybe thousands of years, we don't know. They had been naked, and they didn't notice it because, but when you sin, and when I sin, and when we rebel against God, and we're displeased to God, everybody feels vulnerable. Everybody feels naked. That's just a part of the givenness of who we are as we're made in the image of God. When we mar that image, that likeness of God in us, in our souls, that's when we feel vulnerable and naked. So Adam and Eve said, we got to do something. We've got to cover ourselves. So they went and got fig leaves, and they made fig leaves and covered themselves with fig leaves. How many of you have been around fig trees a lot? Pretty much when you come, raise your hand. How, how many fig tree people? I, 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 we had a fig tree in our backyard, and, and I used to sit on that fig tree and get my BB gun, those birds. No. <laughs> and you stay around fig leaves. Boy, you know, right? They, they're they scratch. I mean, they're, they're, can you imagine being covered with fig leaves? But that's what Adam and Eve did. And finally, God came, and he pronounced judgment on Adam and Eve. And a part of the judgment, you remember, had a bit to do with prophecy. Because in that judgment in Genesis, let me paraphrase it in a hurry, God said that Eve will bear him will bring into life the one who will smash the head of Satan. Remember? Bruise his heel, smash his head. And in light of that, we have Adam making a profession of faith of their sin. You have to see it subtly there in the third chapter. He said, my wife is named Eve. She is the one who will bring life. In other words, he was saying, I believe that one will be 
born from her. Mind you, they'd never seen natural birth, ladies and gentlemen. This is the place of beginnings. But Adam said, I believe it is through her there will be one who will come who will break, break the head of evil. And then when he professed this faith, what did God do? God says, those fig leaves don't work. And he killed an animal, a lamb in all probability, and covered them with lamb skin. Fig leaves are lamb skin. You see, we still put on fig leaves. Fig leaves are saying, I'm going to work out my own deal with God. I'm going to cover my own sin. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to get better. I'm going to do more good than I do evil. I'm going to be a, a fig leaf person. And God said, oh, no, it doesn't work like that. There has to be the shedding of innocent blood. And the idea of substitution is built right in the beginning of the history of humanity. For sin, there must be a perfect substitute. There has to be shed blood. Well, why is God so bloody like this? He wants us to understand the deadliness of sin. The wages of sin. And we see it when an innocent life is taken, i.e., we call it proto-evangelism. Doctrinal term, it means evangelism before evangelism, the shed blood of the lamb, the, the skin of the lamb covering before the blood of Jesus Christ covered us as the perfect, perfect sin bearer and substitute. See it? It starts all the way through. You can trace a trail of blood from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. God built in it so we'll understand the deadliness of rebelling against him. Now, we come to chapter 3, and we read in chapter 3 that Adam and Eve knew each other to know in this sense is intimacy. They had physical relations with one another, and the interesting verse there that says, Eve says, I have brought forth an ish. One time the Hebrew words mentioned about ish. I have brought forth a man. And then she adds, see the verse there? Beginning of chapter 4, she said, and God helped too. <laughs> Isn't that great? She thought she had brought forth the divine promised son of God who would destroy the head of Satan and they could go back in the garden of paradise. They could not forget being thrown out. See, I have born ish man with the help of God. Little ego there, huh? Eve still had that ego. You know, I've done this. I brought forth divinity myself now and with a little help of God. And then I want you to see jealousy, how it comes into play. I want you to see jealousy contrasted. Hope your Bible's with you. Chapter number four, New American Standard. So it came about that in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the, of the fruit of the ground. Cain was the first farmer. Abel was the first shepherd. Eve was the first one to give natural birth. This is the first murder. This is the first cover-up of murder. You've got a lot of firsts there. This is the first family. A lot of firsts all the way through this fourth chapter. And now we see the vocation of Cain. He's a farmer. 
And Abel, on his part, also brought the firstling of his flock and their fat portions. Abel was a shepherd. We have the first farmer, the first shepherd. Now, no problem here, is it? These two boys brought the same family. Cain was the eldest son, the firstborn. Abel was a younger brother. Same mom, same dad, same food, same background, same training, different vocations. Well, they're all moving along together. You, mean, you, you can't tell the difference in Cain and Abel. You just can't do it. And now they go to church. Abel, on his part, verse 4, also brought the firstlings of his flock and their fat portions. So, get it. Cain, farmer, brought all of his fruit and vegetables. Man, there are apples and pears and pomegranates. Uh, you know, there's some turnip greens. I like turnip greens. I'm sure he brought some turnip greens. And some, he brought all these beautiful vegetables, and he took them to the altar of the Lord, and he presented it as a sacrifice. And then Abel went out there and took a lamb you know, clear, innocent eyes. And he took out his knife and remorsefully he slit the throat of the lamb where the blood came out and he took the lamb with tears and brokenness and he brought, that was his sacrifice that he brought to the altar. Anybody have any problem with that? I mean, they both went. They both believed in God. But one will discover engaged in a belief in God but a false worship, and the other believed in God and celebrated a genuine worship. And we're going to see the contrast of jealousy here. Cain was jealous of God. Abel was jealous for God. What a difference. Cain, jealous of God, was just like his mom and dad. They were jealous of God. They wanted to be God. They didn't want God to control them. That's the reason they ate the pear. You thought it was an apple, didn't you? The Bible really doesn't tell us. That's the reason they ate the fruit. That's the reason they did it. I want to be like God. I want to have everything God is. I don't want to be subservient to anybody. I, I want to come to God. I want to run my own life. I want to be in charge. They were jealous of God. And now... Here we have Cain, and you have to look carefully at the Scripture, the order of Scripture. It says Cain's offering, God did not respect Cain, and God did not respect his offering. Poof. Didn't accept Cain, didn't accept the offering. Didn't accept Cain because his heart wasn't right. Didn't accept the offering because the way we get to God is through shed blood, and there's no other way ever been provided. You say, well, he didn't know. How did they know? I mean, Abel brought the lamb and the blood sacrifice, and, and Cain brought this beautiful display of vegetables before the Lord and fruit, and, and, and they didn't know. You could be sure they knew. How can we be sure? They were brought up in the house of Adam and Eve. Where was the altar, by the way? I think the altar was as close to the Garden of Eden as they could get. I think there's a cherubim with a fire keeping anyone from going back into paradise. They could see the tree of life, and their mom and dad had been there many times and worshiped, and they said, this is how you worship. 
I wear the lamb skin that covered my sin, and we give blood sacrifices. They got as close to God as they could. They couldn't go back in the garden, but they got as close as they could when they went to worship. Those boys were taught that from their very birth. And now Cain comes and says, look at what I have done. Look at all the fruit I have made. Trying to go to God on his own terms. We're like that. Hear people say, you know, I've worked out my own deal with God. I told God, you know, I'm going to worship like this. and I'm going to do like that. And God said, it's okay. And I felt that was fine with him. And I've, hello, what kind of convoluted, twisted thinking do we get caught up in? We go to God on his terms. Look at all the fruit I've grown here, God. I'm giving you this. And God didn't accept Cain, didn't accept his offering, but God accepted. He respected, it says in the translation, he respected Abel and respected his all because Abel came with a broken heart, with tears of confession, his sin, and Cain came with pride and saying, look what I'm doing for you, Lord. Cain, jealous of God, wanted to run his own life. Abel, jealous for God. What does that mean? I'm jealous for my wife. I'm jealous for our church. I'm jealous for people I know. I'm jealous. There's an exclusivity there. Oprah Winfrey said she had trouble with God because the Bible says he's a jealous God. And God is a jealous God. That's the reason people run around and say, well, you know, it if you believe in Buddha, or you believe in Allah, or you believe in Jehovah, or you believe in the Hare Krishna, or you just as long as you're religious, there are many, many approaches to God, and all the gods are the same. It's the same God. Ladies and gentlemen, do not even say that. You're not that stupid. Read, read what these various groups believe about God, and God is not even in that realm, the true and living God. And someone says, well, and at least he goes to church somewhere. I'd rather know that someone is an atheist than to have them go to a church well, the Bible is not taught and complained where they hear heresy and the idea that there's some other way to live a good life and get right with God except by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. Let me tell you something. That is serious in our day and age. Counterfeit Christianity, comfortable religion on all sides of the spectrum. And so we have the contrast that is here. One jealous of God, one jealous for God. You see, you see, being jealous for God, that's the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20. Thou shalt have no other God before me. Don't make any idols, any graven image. And he says, I am a jealous God. God is jealous. He's exclusive. He is the one. There's no competition there. And so we see the contrast with these two offerings and these two sacrifices and these two brothers. And then we see the confrontation. 
we see what happens there. This is jealousy that is challenged. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. This is jealousy confronted. Here is Cain with his jealousy. And look how he responded. He responded emotionally. Do you see it that latter part of that verse? He said he was angry and his countenance fell. He was depressed. When the offering was given by Abel, God smiled and accepted Abel and accepted his blood offering. When the offering was bought by Cain, God frowned and rejected Cain and his offering. He came on his terms, not on God's terms. Abel came on God's terms, and it was accepted. See the difference? Distinctive, important difference. And now we see the response here is an emotional response of Cain. He is angry, angry at God, angry at Abel. He, he, was, a, he was the right one. By the way, you say, Cain just fell into sin. He didn't fall into sin. Nobody falls into sin. Yeah, oh, I just fell into sin. Oh, no, no, you've been falling for a long time. You just now hit bottom. That's the way sin works. That's the way sin works. And so we see the confrontation is an emotional response. He gets angry at God, angry at himself. He doesn't get it. But look as God responded to Cain. He confronted him rationally. See? God confronts us rationally. If you hear somebody trying to deal with a problem in your life that's got spookville and mysticism and Gnosticism and looniness attached to it, man, God deals with us rationally as he, as he speaks to us historically. See? So look how God deals very rationally with Cain. It's just so obvious what he does. He said, he said wait a minute, Cain. He says, when the Lord said to Cain, this is verse 6, why are you angry? Huh. And why has your countenance fallen? Is that logical? He's saying, Cain, what's your motive? Why is your countenance down? It's because God's countenance was down. He wouldn't receive his offering and his sacrifice. Yes. Why are you angry? Remember the word for jealous, red, angry, red-faced? That's it. God says, look at your motives, Cain. That's what he says to you and I. We're rumbling along there with jealousy or whatever besetting sin, and we get angry. Why are you angry? Man, I'm depressed. Why are you depressed? What's wrong? He's saying, Cain, can't you figure it out? Could it be, Cain, that you didn't worship me properly as you'd been taught all the days of your life? Did you miss that, Cain, somehow? Did you not understand that, Cain? And then he comes with a tremendous little verse here. Cain says, if you do well... You will, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Sure, if you repent, you worship properly, bang, your countenance is lifted up. Then he says, oh, but if, <laughs> if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire for you, but you must master it. In other words, 
If you do well, your countenance will be lifted up, Cain. If you do not do well, sin, a lion is crouching at the door and you'll be eaten up. You'll either be eaten up by jealousy or you'll be lifted up as you go and worship the right way. Eaten up or lifted up, Cain, that's the choice. God's very rational, is it not? Very logical. But look, there's an emotional appeal. Cain is emotional in his understanding of rejection by God in his offering, and then God is very rational. How do we operate? Here's somebody who's afraid of flying. You got to go to New York. Say, I'm going to drive to New York. I'm afraid of flying. I'd sit down with you and say, let me show you something. Look at these statistics. It is 100,000 times safer for you to fly to New York and probably cheaper with gas prices than it is for you to drive. You say, but I'm afraid of flying. You respond emotionally to flying and not rationally to flying. Any rational individual would say, it's the way to go. But an emotional individual will say, yeah, but I can't stop up there and I'm not in control of this thing up here. Who wins the day? Usually it's the emotions, isn't it? Who wins the day when we're on the precipice of something and we don't know quite which way we're going to decide? Does our emotions win or do we win with rational thought when we are battling with jealousy and the whole backfield of sin and stuff that we have to grapple with. Emotions win too often. Emotions win too often. And then I want you to see jealousy covered. Jealousy covered up. Boy, this is really something. Then the Lord said to Cain, verse 9, where is your brother Abel? Another question. And he said, I do not know lie. <laughs> am I my brother's keeper? By the way, are you your brother's keeper? You absolutely are. I am. If I can help and you can help and assist and love, are your brother's keeper? This morning, Woodway Campus, uh, uh, a man in his pajamas coming out of a special place and got somehow got uh, away from the little clinic and was walking across the street down, right down there below the church. Cars were going by. Shh. He's in the middle of the street, obviously disoriented, obviously confused. One car stops, gets out, couple helps him. Another car stops, gets out, couple help him. And when they got him there and got the police and got him pointed back in the way, the couples introduced to themselves, both were going to church at the Second Baptist Church. Thank God. That just happened. That just happened. We are our brother's keeper, ladies and gentlemen. You can sit on the bench and say, oh, go get him, do something about it. But somewhere you got to take your coat off and get down there and be a brother and be a sister. That's what we have to do. And that's what is happening here. That's what is not happening here. Look how this progresses on. It even gets richer and better. The voice of your brother's blood is flying to me, says the Lord. Now you are cursed with the ground which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Who had been cursed before? Satan, the snake. The only one been cursed. Now Cain is cursed. 
Would you cultivate the ground that no longer will yield its strength to you? You will be a vagrant, penniless, no resources. You'll be a wanderer, no home, no place to go in the world. Cain said to the Lord, boy, God is still, he didn't take Cain out. He's a murderer. Look what he's done. But then Cain's going to respond. You'll say, Cain, maybe you'll respond, I know I missed it. I know how to worship. I, I, let me confess, I, a blood sacrifice. I, brought, I tried to go to you in my own dirt. I know, but how does Cain respond? Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground and from your face. Did God drive Cain from his face? No, no, no. It was Cain who saw the frown of God because he did not offer the sacrifice and confess his sins. He's turning it back on God. He said, your face will be hidden and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. There is five personal pronouns in two verses. It's hard to do that, isn't it? It's hard to be so wrapped up in yourself. I, I, me, me, I. Me, I, I, me, me. That's Cain. That's the religion of the fig leaf. That's I'm going to do my own works. I'm going to impress God. I'm going to be good enough to get to heaven. I don't need a substitute. I don't need God's term. That's fig leaf stuff. That's not lambskin stuff. So the Lord said to Cain, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, one of the saddest verses in Scripture. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. What is the mark of Cain? Cain says, put a mark on me. I'm a murderer. People will be looking for me. He's the first murderer. he's He's a vagrant, has nothing. He's wandering around. People would, he'd be a wanted man. They didn't want a murderer. This is the first murderer, ladies and gentlemen. What's that mark? Some people said it's a tattoo. Others said he had a special hairdo. Others said the mark must have been the name of a dog that God gave him, protect him. Other people tried to hurt him. Dog with a big spike collar, about that big. I'll tell you what the mark of Cain was. The mark of Cain was a mark of how far God goes with his love. It's how far God goes, no matter what you've done, what no matter know what I've done, no matter where we've been, no matter how far we've wandered, it is God's extended love. By the way, this is in the Bible the first time you see what we call common grace. God has a common grace for everybody on the planet. It's a universal grace. Here we see it, love extended way beyond the boundary, even to Cain who progressively had moved away from God, been so jealous of his brother, he killed his brother as he was jealous of the authority of God over his life. Now, what do you do about jealousy in your life and my life? That's easy. What do you do in an emergency? What do you do in an emergency? Somebody tell me. What do you do? It's an emergency. What's the first thing you do? 911. Let's do it. Psalm. 91, first one. 
boy, here we go. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. What's he saying? To dwell with the Most High and to abide in the shadow of the Almighty, you have to be a worshiper. You, you can't live in God's house. You can't abide with God unless you're a worshiper. And we worship when we confess our sin. We worship when we turn away from our sin. We worship when we know that God in Jesus Christ has substituted for you and me on that cross for our sin. We have to be a worshiper. That's what we learned in 911. And then once we become a worshiper, we need to go to 911 again. Go back to Psalm chapter number 9, verse 11. 911. Now we are worshipers. Look what happens to us individually and as a nation of people. I want you, as I read these verses, you to quote these verses after me. Are you ready? Sing praises to the Lord, Lord. who dwells in Zion. Everybody, declare among the peoples his deeds. For he who requires blood remembers them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me. You who lift me up from the gates of death, may I tell of all your praises that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. Call 911. Psalm 91.1 calls us to worship in the shadow of the Almighty. And once we do that, call 911 again, chapter 9, verse 11, and look how God takes and liberates us and sets us free. Did you get it? You got it? By God's grace and power, help us to become worshipers. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young, who joins me in the studio now. You know, Dr. Young, it seems that jealousy really is an emotional sin, which makes it harder to deal with. How can we let go and learn to be content with what we have? Well, jealousy is equated with covetousness, I believe. In other words, it's not wrong to desire something. And, and, and jealousy, in, in the minor sense, I can be jealous of what someone else has. In other words, I can say, there is someone who knows the Scripture. They've studied. I'm jealous. I would like to be like that. But, but jealousy, in the sense of, 
of, of, of envy, jealousy in the sense of I, I want what you have. It's not I want something like you have, but I want that which you have, and that is covetousness. So I think we can be jealous in a positive sense, or we can make jealousy uh, in, in a very negative sense. Somebody who are so, is so jealous overwhelmingly for their wife or their husband, and somebody else would speak with them or talk with them, we're so uh, beaten down, we think, well, they'll take my place, or he might uh, enjoy being with him or her more than they. And we, we can get obsessed with possessing someone, having the exclusive rights to someone. And, and jealousy can be a very uh, tough thing to deal with in marriage. In one sense, you're jealous of your wife, your mate, certainly you are, but you can take it to such an absurd a sense. And that's really when jealousy begins with a capital J. And that's something we have to be aware of and take all the steps necessary to keep from being out in the squirrel land of jealousy. Thank you, Dr. Young. You've been listening to The Winning Walk with Dr. Ed Young. Winning Walk is a listener-supported ministry. Your prayers and financial support allow us to bring proven truth to listeners around the world. Connect with us at winningwalk.org. That's winningwalk.org.